You're now tuning into the Top Rank Podcast. This is Marcel. And this is Isabel. For any new listeners out there, our podcast is an offshoot of Top Rank Magazine, a publication based in Brooklyn that profiles women of diverse backgrounds who are driving, shaping, and challenging the world around them. We think of our podcast as a process-oriented research platform grounded in conversation. So working in collaboration with our guests and our listeners, we hope to create a knowledge production outlet that is exploratory rather than being prescriptive or conclusive. So on this show, we talk a lot about the relationship between power, aesthetics, and knowledge. And we're interested in thinking about how our notions of what is beautiful, what is important, and even what is truth are informed by the power structures and institutions that shape our everyday lives. And I think nowhere is this question more relevant than in the arts. Elite arts institutions, whether they be museums, theaters, university departments, or publications, all serve as spheres of influence committed to essentially the arbitration of taste. But as we've discussed on um, previous episodes, these judgments are obviously in no way neutral nor self-evident, but are inherently political and by consequence exclusionary. Taking arts institutions to task is an ongoing imperative for those who have been regulated to the margins of history and of historiography. Any history of taste, and by extension of art and of its spaces, is entirely subjective and contingent on the intersection of any one person's class, race, gender, and sexuality, among other things. Institutional critique as a phrase is a mode of art making that has been actually one of the defining conceptual strategies of the past century and pioneered by artists and collectives who are now regular names in textbooks from Adrian Piper, the Gorilla Girls, Fred Wilson, and Hans Hacke, just to name a few. For the women part of the London-based collective Thicker Black Lines, their initiatives to identify a Black British art canon emerges from an urgency to acknowledge the multiplicities and convergences of Black identities across the globe. So this evening, we are so happy to have with us here via Skype uh, the women of Thicker Black Lines, Rihanna Jade Parker, Huda Kare, and uh, Arella Youssef. So, welcome, yeah, ladies. Welcome. Thank you, guys. Hey. Hi. Hi. We were actually just going to start by having each of you just briefly introduce yourself and explain your affiliation to the collective. Who wants to go? You go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My name's Rihanna. Um... Our affiliation, we were all four equal parts. The only part I was missing is Karima. She's based out in Qatar right at the moment. Um, what do I do? I just finished my MA course. Um, I'd like to be a teenager forever, but I can't. So I'm now working in the arts, I guess, or aiming to. Um, that's all I have right now. My life is quite in flux for the most part. The only thing I consistently do is read and write. Nice. Hear that. I'll <laughs> uh, go next. I'm <laughs> I'm Morella and I am a sometimes writer and art historian. Um, I also founded a Women of Colour Film Club, which is an online film club that celebrates films by and about women of colour, as the name suggests. Um, and 
I read and write probably not as frequently as I would like or as much as Rihanna does. but I'm kind of engaged in the arts in lots of different ways, um, in visual arts and in theatre and performance and writing. Mm. Wonderful. Uh, I'm Huda. Um, I am a researcher and I always find the word artist to be very sort of um, a difficult one for me to grapple with, but in so much that an artist is someone that does and thinks and makes and um, art is as well as an understanding of it as being a practice. Um, that's how I come into to this space. And I think, as Rihanna said, we are all four, um, four parts of a, a whole. Um, so, um, and so much of our work is, is project-based. It's sort of, we have ideas and we're thinking about towards a goal. And that's sort of where, how our, I think the way that we work towards things. Um, Well, on that note, we wanted to ask you guys actually about the origin story of Thicker Black Lines. When did you all decide to form this collective and why? Um, It was a little bit over a year ago and we'd all known each other for several years. Uh, Rihanna and I have known each other for about six years now and have all worked with each other in different capacities on different projects, um, whether curatorial projects or writing um, or sort of public speaking and lecturing and events. Um, But we'd all in our own ways been researching themes that we are now working on, whether it's um, black artists in British art, Black history in the UK and globally um, and the kind of conditions of life for black women in this country. Um, and the we really came together when it was at the uh, Psychic Friends Network, which is um, a short residency that Simone Lee had at uh, Tate Exchange in London at the tail end of 2016. Um, Rihanna, I think you can say a bit more about that. Um, so with Simone's residencies, as I'm sure you guys know, um, Black Women Artists for Black Lives Matter launched at the new museum um, that summer, um, obviously in response to some of the police brutality that's happened in New York City in particular. And so Simone is like over her residency as a space um, because of reflection and condition and around those ideas. She had a residency at Tate maybe a couple of weeks, a couple of months later, and again used that same opportunity to widen it out again to these black women artists who joined this group. At that point in time, I believe they had chapters in maybe New York in California and another one, maybe Chicago, I'm not sure. Um, and while she was there, the very first day she called a private meeting with some of the black women artists and practitioners that were working in the UK. And that's when a lot of us got to meet for the first time, which is, which is one of the things that she was shocked by. In fact, that a lot of us who were working in the same field actually didn't know each other, which is a part of the issue and kind of where our project came from. So from her one residency, she then launched the, which well, wasn't the launch, obviously she initiated the UK chapter, which a lot of us are a part of. And then two months later from that chapter being opened, there was an opportunity at Project Royal Houses where all seven houses were awarded to Black Women Arts, the Black Lives Matter, which is the first time that's happened 
in the history that they give you one artist all seven houses and then one house is then taken to the UK and then that's how we kind of tumbled in to what we are now. That's actually a perfect segue to uh, the next question that we have, which is about um, your work with Black women artists for Black Lives Matter and also in particular the efforts at the Project Row Houses. So just wanted to give some listeners who um, who who haven't been there. I mean, I wish I could have gone to this um um, this show, but um, just going to give them some a bit, a bit of background, and then of course you all can tell me what I left out of this background. But yeah, so it was 2016, correct? Um, where Simone Lee convened Black Women Artists for Black Lives Matter, uh, a coalition of Black women, queer, and gender nonconforming artists committed to cultivating Black self determination through a variety of means: uh, community building, arts, discourse. And I and Rihanna, you just mentioned how Thicker Black Lines was a part of the the efforts at Project Row Houses and. Houston, um, where Lee brought curators um, from London, from New York and L.A. So I was wondering if you all could talk a bit about that experience, like what that was like um, working at Project Row Houses. And as it it, it seems to me, at least from uh, the kind of literature online, that you all were the only group representing sort of black European diaspora. So we'd be interested to like learn about your experiences there, um, being in the midst of this, you know, like transatlantic dialogue about um, issues that are that uh, are facing uh, black women and black people more broadly across the globe. Well, we were based in London during the time it was happening. It was quite rushed. As you can imagine, a lot of these groups are filled with a lot of people and therefore individuals and therefore different personalities. Um, what we originally pitched to to Simone was a much simpler idea of what we were looking at. Um, you know, thanks to her good graces and good faith in our work, she expanded the idea and saw it as a physical project for it to be, you know, um, mapped out against a, an actual war and for it to be taken up an actual presence in the room and grappling with the work that way, as opposed to like a, you know, like a postcard cutout of, of an image. Um, so we worked from London whilst the show was being installed by the curator Ryan in Houston. It required, as you can imagine, because of the time difference, lots of WhatsApp calls, lots of FaceTimes, endless emails, but we got there in the end. It was all very much worth it. I mean, we wish we were able to go out there and view it ourselves. But I think Project Royal Houses gave us very interesting feedback and for it to be on our initial audience was very interesting for it to be a non European audience, you have no real context of what we're talking about outside of the context we gave them. So for it, it was both fresh and I guess invigorating in that way. So the response we got back really reflected that. Um, and that kind of gave us the confidence to know the work we've done is worthwhile and it's easily translatable to the people that we're concerned about, i.e. other black people in the world. Yeah. I think there was also um, a kind of irony in the fact that it was first seen in the US mm. rather than in the UK um, because from our research it did come across that um, there was a tendency and I think this is seen in other um, industries and fields as well that um, there are limited opportunities for um, black creatives to progress in this country and quite often the opportunities are seen to be on the other side of the pond. Um, and that's where people will go and make their name. I think we see this all the time with mm -hmm. acting um, and some other industries as well. So, uh, you know, it, it just was 
a parallel of that. Mm. Yeah, I was wondering, I mean, because you, so you all have been talking about this, this, you've been referencing something that you all created. And I feel like it's about, it's time that we talk about the actual work that you all did um, at Project Grow Houses. And, um, and I know that it was connected to the Tate. So I think Isabel is going to. So we know that last summer, um, your collective collaborated with the Tate Modern to present a project titled We Apologize for the Delay to Your Journey. So wondering if you could tell us a little about how this project came about and, and exactly what it entailed. Yeah, so we collaborated with the Tate Exchange, which is it's a, a specific space at the Tate uh, Modern. It's a, an experimental space where um, a type of an opportunity to have a more collaborative experience between artists and um, uh, you know, gallery um, people that attend as a gallery. So having sort of a dialogue rather than yeah, and disrupting that 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 general experience of the white uh, the white gallery wall and the sort of the um, spectator and receiver of of knowledge of of art. And so it's that kind of mentality that um, the Tate, Tate Exchange had approached us following the residency that Simone Lee had had at the Tate Exchange space. And um, ostensibly, they invited us to share uh, the, the the work that we had at, at Project Row Houses in London. So again, you know, as, as Aurelio was saying, we had that. So much of our research was about the way that um, black art in the UK is received only when it's it's diffused through um, a nationalist line, like it's African American art. So that there's an, people accept. Um, uh, black women and femme artists, if they're they're not British, but the idea of, of black British artists is kind of an anathema in in um, the sort of the, the art canon. And our work was talking about that that um, those gaps, the the way that um, great movements have been made in the in the 80s, specifically with artists like have been Labena Hamid, who we've our work uh, references, um, um, but yet. It, to this day, we're not we, we, that those black women and femme artists have not been able to take their place in in um, sort of the understanding of of, of black British art of, of, of British art in general. So the title "We Apologize for the Delay to Your Journey" is in reference to that, and the actual work is is a referencing of the of the London Tube Map, um, placing black women and femme artists who are not just artists from this generation, but also newer collectives, um, people who are using um, online spaces to um, share their work, as well as curators and um, different art shows to sort of show all these kind of multiplicities and different lines in which um, black women and femme artists have had to work. Uh, many of the, the um, the artists are on different lines of the the tube map to show um, the, because to show the kind of multiple work that they're doing, um, not just being um, artists themselves, but also curating shows, also being um, art critics to be able to create this an uh, understanding artists and ecosystem as many multiple layers in which um, artists are able to come to the fore and the ways in which why it's difficult for black women and film artists to be known because the, of that ecosystem being so um, so being pitted against against um, that work. Um, so yeah, we had, and, and so the residency, maybe one of the other girls will talk about more about the... Um, well, before the, the residency, we'll, this, this work came about essentially because we've been friends for X amount of time and 
you know, affect or, or example in our friendship is to do with knowledge sharing and to an extent consciousness raising but not being explicit about it. So us spending a few summers or Sundays together reading or writing was just out of wanting to. So this research coming out, it's not, I'm not going to call it a passion project, but along those lines where this is the work we wanted to do, not because we had the tape in our mind that mm-hmm. was, you know, three or four years from now, we're going to do the thing. So we were doing this work anyway. We were collecting this kind of information anyway. I think our Reddit's dissertation was a nice, firm foundation for us to begin to start mapping out things in a way, yes. Yeah. But I think her, when I say dissertation, I mean thesis. So I read a thesis for her, for her MA program, sorry? No, so it was for my, um, my undergraduate dissertation. I wrote about uh, basically this topic about the visibility of black women in uh, in art spaces in London and in New York. Um, and a lot of the, you know, this is where it comes in, what I was mentioning about, um, you know, going to the US to have that kind of uh, career progression. Um Although in certain ways at an institutional level, you would see a lot of similarities um, in both um, cities. Um, but essentially, the, some of the research that I did really gave us a broad understanding of um, the way institutions operate and how um, they function to uh, exclude uh, black women from uh, their collections, from their curatorial teams, um, and it's, it all can be in quite um, insidious ways. Um, and as Rihanna mentioned, when we um, arrived at uh, Simone's residency um, in 2016, I think it was November, it was November. and we realised that um, you know all of these uh, black women artists and um, art professionals had gathered and most of us didn't know each other or we knew of each other and we hadn't met each other um, and realised that we were all quite isolated and sort of um, dispersed. So um, really mapping um, all of the names was um, a way of connecting us. And as Huda mentioned, we referenced Lubaina Hamid's work um, who had she had um, created a similar map um, a few years previously called Moments and Connections, which was hand drawn, um, slightly different layout, slightly different content. But we wanted to um, essentially uh, visually show what what was happening in the current climate and who who had been our predecessors and who was still working and how things had changed. We included digital spaces. We thought that was really important. Um, so that was the central visual piece, this large scale map. Um, and of course, the We Apologise for the Delay was was a play on the fact that it was a tube map and train delays, mm. but delayed um, really uh, acceptance and inclusion of um, a lot of the um, individuals who we mentioned, um, and really in seeing seeing them become part of the canon, become um, collected by the institutions, uh, just for their names to even be known um, more widely, uh, was very delayed. 
But we had, um, you know, that was just one component and we had an extensive public program, which really uh, not only, I think it not only complemented the map, but I think it was actually um, maybe more powerful than the map itself. Yeah, what did, yeah, what did the public programs entail? So, um, we, well, we had a whole bunch because yeah. there was a summer long residency. We were up for six weeks, which is the longest technician residency they've had so far that we were there for the whole summer. And it was there every other week, or if not, like every, I think it was every, something every like every week we, we had, had um, an event of some sort. Mm. We mm. began with our introduction mm. talk, our introduction lecture, I should say, that we gave yeah. again, presenting a, a brief lecture on this kind of research we did and how we formulate the map. Straight after that was the reading group. Yes. So central to text that we really wanted to um, let people understand sort of our uh, what our conceptual framework was for this project. We were looking at um, a book called um, uh, The Heart of Race, Black Women in... Black Women's Lives in Britain. Black Women's Lives in Britain. Um, this book, we felt, was an important black feminist text that had been ignored in the British canon mainly because the the framework that the authors had taken of what is black was to centre on the lives of... An, uh, People of African descent. <laughs> it's kind of silly that we have to say that. <laughs> but unfortunately, in this country, there's a, there's a, you have to make that distinction. Yeah. Unfortunately, the general use of the word black um, is not as it seems, unfortunately. Um, so with Stella Dazzi, the person who co-edited that book, was very particular about using black in its... Should we call it essentialist? Yeah. <laughs> well, this is it. I mean, not not uh, disimprecating um, the history of where black people come from, from that of racial slavery, and the ways in which in Britain there was a very there is a very porous way, um, very Marxist socialist understanding of of human difference to say that all those that are not white are therefore black without understanding where does that term black come from and using black as an analogy for um, terribleness, for mm -hmm. um, analogy, for struggle, for strife, rather than really com contemplating the world that slavery created and the way in which Britain is established in every single framework, every single, I mean. And the peoples itself, it's very, yeah. it's very erasing for this understanding of black people to always come back down to, well, if you've struggled somehow, then you must know what it means to be black. There's much more fullness to ourselves than it than our struggle, which we can trace back for however long. It's yeah. quite ridiculous. And more than that, not everybody struggles in the same way. And so the whole residency, we were having these kind of conversations, and the reading group was, a, I think, a, a wonderful way in which we could sort of open this conversation to people that didn't have that kind of framework mm. to begin with, and people from who come from many different backgrounds and many different understanding. In fact, mm. central to the residency was that we had a... Um, an open bookshelf where we had books um, that had informed our um, understanding of the of just basically our understanding of the residency and the projects. And um, we had a photocopier where people could photocopy those books, and we made available chapters from the Heart of Race uh, previously. And um, many people gave uh, requests for it, so we had that conversation. Wow! So yeah, so your collaborative knowledge productions really actually putting the the work and lives of black British women artists into these institutions and tremendously like important work that you're that you all are are doing to really um, 
make that known and have have your rightful your rightful space in these institutions so it sounds like it sounds like an incredibly like comprehensive and important program that happened i think we want to actually know a a bit more about the research process because it seems like Aurelia, your dissertation was a really amazing foundation for um for the project and actually super interested to hear more about the comparative u.s versus uk our institution sort of infrastructure that you you found in your work but just as a collective like what was the research process working collaboratively to to create the map um like kind of as friends um and as kind of knowledge producers together um and also i guess another question is like who did you decide to include and exclude where to begin and where to end i mean creating a map is such a um of course like anything else a constructed endeavor so how did you even begin to to, to tackle to tackle that the main um, conclusion that I had was that um, in both places at um, grassroots level there was a lot of similarity you'd see a lot of um, black women artists making work um, you know whether they were you know students or amateur artists whatever you know if you wish to consider that um, a relevant term or you know people are doing like pop-up exhibitions things of that nature um and then at the institutional level um the big name galleries and museums places like moma places like tate uh you really wouldn't see very much activity when it came to black women um whether exhibitions or in the collection Mm. um the difference was really in the mid-level um, organisations. Um, in New York, there are a lot of culturally specific institutions such as Mercada, um, the Studio Museum, even the uh, Museum del Barrio and um, the uh, African Museum, which is, I think, still re- being rebuilt. Is it still under construction? Um, but there were places that... Um, black artists, particularly black women, could progress from those very early stages of their career to a place that wasn't, you know, yet those top level institutions, but a space where they could be nurtured and develop their practice and become an artist of the caliber that then might be seen in a major institution. Mm. And that just wasn't happening in London. so, you know, with with the Thicker Black Lines project, that's not we didn't necessarily present the exact same research, but we drew from it. Um, and then, of course, um, the other women in the group had all been doing extensive research as well. So we pulled it all together into the project that it became. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, definitely um, to echo what everyone's been saying about knowledge sharing, I think that's been really key. And that's um, really central to how we work. And anything in particular we do, I don't know, emails, WhatsApp group. <laughs> um, we share anywhere we can, really. Um, and we're sharing everything, of course, across mediums, memes, everything that's relevant to us. And we just kind of keep it moving from there. So it's fairly organic and it's ongoing. So I think there, I can't remember a start time or really yeah. can I put you in time. Not really, because the the conversations that we we are constantly having, um, so, you know, it's about sort of refining them within 
the parameters of a particular project. Yeah. Um, but but it's constantly ongoing and evolving. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're concerned about black life and black uh, women and femme life particularly. And that's that's always been our, and will continue to be our driving concern. And so that's how all our work sort of comes about really. Um, and that we're, we're constantly sharing in that regard. Um, I, I don't know if there's anything. I think as far as making the map, um, it, it also that was quite organic because we were just trying to collate our knowledge and really the, uh, the map is, I want to say it's, it's almost arbitrary. It was just um, a tool mm, in yes. which we could um, really name um, the individuals and um, the exhibitions and the publications and the institutions um, that we felt were relevant. But it's also, um, you know, not, it, it can never be complete. It's mm. always expanding. Yeah. Um, and there are many more names. Yeah, the whole process, we, we were kept saying that this isn't a definitive map and also who are we to sort of say who people are, but this was a way which we could draw attention for the very least of names that were so missing, really shockingly missing, that we that we were aware of from our research. And what we loved about the residency as well is that we had a, a sort of a board where we invited people to sort of name who are other people that you would like to see on this list. And the whole way through the process, we just think, oh God, this person made an amazing piece of work. I wish that we had included that. And so hopefully in our, our practice, we'll be keeping, you know, adding and, and encouraging ourselves to sort of learn about new people. But it really, we wanted it to be like a stepping stone to to make those connections and I think that was um yeah so, so that was the the purpose of it and um we're always actually very wary of mapping in itself because like you said it's a constructed it is a constructed endeavor but as all maps are constructed and they necessarily leave things out um our map was not an attempt to make a, a definitive sort of like um cartography of every single uh, black woman or uh, femme artist in the UK, but just to say, look, there are these names that are nowhere to be seen in your in your art canon. And these are all the multiple ways in which they're working as, as curators, as um, uh, critics, as artists, working artists themselves, and then learning about their biographies throughout the residency, saying that you know, these are women who oftentimes had to come into their careers much later than um, the average time because they've had you know, full lives to lead because they've had full-time jobs because of all the kind of different um, pressures that that stop people from being able to to progress in careers the way that the the art world requires people to do, mm. um, and the kind of the, and how these are particularly gendered pressures that, mm -hmm. um, and so we wanted to make those things apparent that so it's not just oh they weren't good enough or you know there was this this but there are like structural issues that impeded the development of certain artists and so in that way we apologize for the delay to your journey mm. as well. i think the other thing to note is that um many of the individuals named on the map could have actually been on different lines mm. um and this is something that we noted um was happening during the 80s and early 90s um, with um, some of the earlier generations of the women um, who had to not only make the work but curate their own exhibitions and uh, write about their work and publicise their work. So they were um, really taking on multiple roles. 
and that's still happening today. Uh, yeah. It's really amazing that you got to present that versioning and that perspective within a place like Tate. And we actually wanted to ask you, like as a collective and indiv- and individually, how do you navigate your relationship, including a financial relationship, with an art institution like Tate while also being so clearly invested in institutional critique and a, and a, and a really rigorous one? Which way can we, I'm about to say attack, to attack which way can we address that question? I think, I think it's what you were saying about our work being intentional. Yeah, our starting point is very different. I'd imagine for most visual artists, we haven't gone through the architecture of going to art school, picking the practice in the medium and defining it, getting your MFA, and now your position is, you know, galleries, museums, book me, I need you to see me. We've come from a very different angle. None of us do this full-time. We all have different professions that have things to do. So there's a different kind of, um, I don't want to use the word integrity because people can have integrity being a visual artist, but there's just a different basis for what we do, and it's very known before you even speak to us. So for anyone to choose to work with us, because um, of course we're not pitching, we're not submitting, then we can only assume you already understand our particular practice and our politics. And so far, who we've worked with, it's been that case. Mm-hmm. I can also say that working with Tate Exchange is very different to working with Tate Wider, like Tate International Art. Tate is a very big place. It isn't like one on this finger pointing from the sky as the decision maker of Tate. It's a very, very big organization. I couldn't even begin to describe to the departments and such issues. So Tate Exchange, I mean, it's new experimental space and with independent funding, all these kind of things. It allows for a lot more room for wriggle than it would be if we were working with public programs elsewhere within Tate Modern or Tate Britain. So I think two of those things impacted each other. Yeah. I think also um, the way the way I really think about it is that um, it's very difficult to operate entirely outside of and without the institutions um, if you want people to access your work. We, yeah, we, we're doing this work all the time and we have been doing it and we've been sharing our findings in different ways that we can. Um, but I don't think we would have had um, such wide access to our research um, in some of the probably, you know, uh, sort of self-started spaces that we've tried um, to work with in the past. Um, Of course, Tate is a huge platform. Um, But also... I feel like it's 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 like it's similar to this idea of how can you criticize capitalism and still be within capitalism it's it's almost unavoidable so I think we've got a right to be in the institutions and still critiquing them I don't think it's a conflict I wonder why you wouldn't also so if we in particular I spoke about the tape the tape of it is the tape so we've been had to include them in our research and how they have or haven't collected black rich women if we are speaking about the institution why would we not also critique them whilst inside of it doesn't make any I understand the need for someone to be like oh you know I hate this white space and what it means so I'll never work them but the very things we're speaking about opening up Tate's library and archive and literally making 
a whole new catalogue section for them. We can't do that outside. We won't have engaged with Tate. We will have addressed that issue within their archive. And I will have addressed half the issues we did if we did not work with them. So is the question of institutional critique just to complain from outside or is it to actually have some kind of, not life-changing, this is not going to save us for the world, but we've done something. And I feel that's better than us just speaking for the sake of it. Yeah. Mm. And then more than that, they want, they commissioned us. <laughs> like they wanted to do this like there is there is um it, it gives it goes it's, through, it's mutually beneficial it's much beneficial and it goes through cycles and we were mm. joking about you know especially last summer was a very black summer there had Gosh, yeah, black in shows. um there was you know black women artists for black lives matter but generally they're kind of the political climate yeah we we coincided with soul of a nation yeah oh, so true. like they so the soul of a nation was a um so art of the black um Black art in the age of black power. We had place of places here. We had a solo show. I think every, at least a few, maybe with two hands I can count how many black artists had have a group shows or oh, oh. Exactly. Oh gosh, of course. AJ's piece was here all summer. Yeah, the Serpentine as a whole range in of different spaces. Um, um, Hannah Black. Hannah Black had a big show. She didn't hell. We can literally. So last year really was that. Yeah, that, there was a lot that, of stuff. So I mean, <laughs> that Black Summer in London, which does not happen often. No, it's <laughs> not Brooklyn over here. Like yeah. we have much less black people so to see that happen is um noticeable. Definitely. But that's me being a bit cynical in that you know sometimes you. But yes, the artist can sort of make those choices, but also it's about who wants to receive them. So mm-hmm. people might be like, I, I want to work with, with these art institutions, but those art institutions don't want to work with you. Mm. So we're, we're very like, yeah, so we have our ethic. We know what we're, um, what we're about and we try to make that clear when we're working with organisations. But equally, those organisations choose to work with us. So. Yeah, you all made so many important points. I mean, we're all embedded and to an extent, you know, I don't even know if complicit's the right word, but we're all embedded in these systems and it's figuring out strategies to, um, yeah, to to gain access, to gain resources, to navigate our relationships with these institutions at the end of the day. um, Again, find out ways that we can rigorously critique and use the resources of these institutions to actually make them more equitable. And that's the work that you all are exactly doing. So... Yeah, that was that was really awesome. I mean, I, I wonder just to kind of close up. I mean, you all mentioned that the the group is um, well, y'all are friends, of course. Um, but the the group that the, the the work that the collective actually does is more like on a project basis. So I was wondering, like, what is what are your your plans? Like, how what what's what's the future? What's the present look like? Like, what are you working on? What can we? Yeah, all that. Oh, what are we working on? Well. I think uh, one of the things that we did um, while we were at Tate Exchange is we produced a publication um, to go along with the residency because we really felt it was important to have something that would have um, a longer lifespan than the six weeks that we were there. Mm. So I think um, more publications are likely to come. More publications, I guess a lot more mapping choreography yeah. we have a lot to consider mm. we're lucky in a sense that we're not time pressured um and any really think on our backs to be like oh come you know and i guess again if it's a privilege or not to not have to consider the, the worlds of being a full-time working artist um that we can do it in our own time and we will but mm. i think even though we obviously would like to consider our position within europe i mean back in Europe, um, all of our connections are always going to be global. So even exactly. if we do speak about the local, 
there's no way as black people that we don't expand it. So I think any of our projects are going to continue to be fairly international and interconnected in that way. So it could go any and anywhere in the diaspora, and I mean that in the wider sense. Absolutely, we we don't we're not um, we don't believe in this idea that there is um, a, a particularity, a special um, uniqueness in the black experience in the UK that can't be understood outside of the global experience of of um, black peoples, and that's the kind of understanding that we want to link. Not to say that everybody's the same, but to say that there is something shared between us. There's a commonality, even. Exactly. So that's perfectly fine, yeah. And I yeah. think that's far more strengthened us acknowledging that now and going forward as opposed to still trying to have these diaspora wards on Twitter, <laughs> wasting our times. Exactly, <laughs> or the idea that, oh, oh you know, the, the, the black British experience is so singular and different mm. to anyone else except the N-word has a universal understanding right. about it. So I'm rather than running away from from those kind of conversations, we go towards it. Mm-hmm. and But also understanding that from the ways in which, how do black women and femmes move in the world and what what is that gendered experience um, of, you know, the aggression that, that black people face in anti-blackness. So, um, yeah, but in, in, yeah, so we've got a lot of things to do. Yeah, <laughs> we've got a few things to do. <laughs> and uh, we're going to do them and we'll, we'll share them with you uh, I did yeah I did say we could be like the Frank Ocean of art <laughs> oh, wow. 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 you might not see us for a while <laughs> when we pop up you'll like it the way. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. When, when it comes it's quality <laughs> True, actually, that's a great analogy. We can't wait. Well, thanks so much, Rihanna, Arella, and Hudda, for your time, for your insights, for all the work that you're doing um, in the UK and abroad. I mean, um, as we said before, we just really uh, find that the work that you all are doing is really obviously important but inspiring in terms of just like collective building and and knowledge sharing knowledge production just turning friendships into something um a productive and meaningful i mean not to say that all of our friendships you have to produce something but i think that's also where this our podcast actually comes from the very kind of same imperative like like you like you all isabel and i are nerds i I say nerds lovingly because i think that it's amazing but we love research we love to think about um and ask questions and yeah this podcast is also formed by similar imperatives so um and we really appreciate your nuance and interested in and interest in pluralism and really looking at like all the different all the different ways to consider an, an idea and a concept and experience so we we resonate with you guys Thank you. Thanks so much to all of you. Um, This is the Top Rank Podcast. Um, This is Marcel. This is Isabel. And we're here at Red Bull with Hassan, our amazing sound engineer, and Sienna, our producer. And just thank you to everybody, as usual, for you guys. Yeah, where could we? Where could people, the listener, listeners, find out more about uh, the work that you all are doing? Social media, any shout outs you all want to do? We'll find out between those two spots, yeah. yeah. So the website, which is thinkaboutline.com, it's the same with Instagram, but if you go straight to the, you can just Google us, that, that works as well. Yeah. <laughs> Google <laughs> always yeah. works. And could people find the map that you all created on the website, on your website? Find, um, version. So we haven't released the full version, of course, just, you know, um, feds are watching, so we can't put everything out at one time. You can see some of the map on the Instagram. Yeah, but on the Instagram, you can see the good chunk of it. 
um, and there'll be more visuals to come because we had so many pictures throughout our residencies, both at Houston. Amazing. Um, so there's a lot more to see. If they want to see the map, they should watch the video on the website. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah. see it that way. Yeah. On the landing page, there's a, you know, like a two-minute video that syncs our ideas and what we've done so far as a way to understand the map. Perfect. And we will link these things too when, when we release this show. The Thank you. Find them. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much. You. Good night or good morning, rather. Yeah, good night, good morning, whatever time. <laughs> Have a good weekend. Thank you. Bye. Bye.